deeper relationships, Lord God. I pray, Father, that you would prepare us um, yes, Lord. for those that you're going to bring, Lord. We pray that you would bring those that are being saved um, to us, Lord God, and that we would be ready to um, accept them in, Lord God, to extend your love and your grace, Lord God. And Father, I do lift up our nation. Um, what a mess. I just pray, Father, that you would bring law, that you would bring law and order to situations that are so chaotic, Lord, that you would reveal uh, what's happening behind the scenes, Lord God, that you would open people's eyes to the truth of who you are, Lord, to the truth of what is going on, Father, to the truth of what is um, behind the scenes, Lord God. May you bless us, Lord God, with people in government, Lord, that truly know you, Lord God, and are courageous yes. and are not afraid of speaking up, Lord. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to have your hand of protection upon this nation, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would just continue to move upon it, Lord God, and call those out um, that you have already selected. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship our King. Amen.
of that holy night yes. Lord, that 
Father, you wrapped yourself in humanity. God, that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son. Whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gift of your Son. Given to your creation who is in rebellion and who is in rebellion towards you. And yet, Jesus, you've came to seek the lost, to set the captives free, to put an end to the oppression. Yes. And that the soul of your created beings could finally feel its worth. It could only be found in Christ and in Christ alone. So I pray, God, as we open your word today, Lord, as we, Father, draw close to you, I thank you, God, that your word says that in doing so, you will draw close to us. And I pray, God, that our hearts would receive, Lord, that we would be encouraged, Father, this week as we look forward to Christmas Day. Father, that you made a way. And his name is Jesus. For us to be restored back to you. For us to be at peace with God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So may we be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, search our hearts, God. See if there's any wicked way within us, Lord God. Test us, Lord. God, that we would continue to abide in Christ, knowing that apart from you, we could do nothing. And for those, God, who are not in Christ, to know how I pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would come and that they would fall on their knees. That they would humble themselves, Lord. God, that they would recognize their wicked ways, Lord, their rebellion towards you, Lord. That they would repent and receive this free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. So, application, sustained effort, hard work, from the root word, apply. Apply to give one's full attention to a task to work hard. We've got just a couple more weeks. But as I said, I believe last week, I pray that as you continue to grow and mature as Christians, if you truly are a Christian, that you would understand that you just can't be a hearer of the word. You must be a doer of the word. Application is vital. Application. So applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book. An impractical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you when we apply the Bible. God himself will be with us. And so we've heard this for over a year now. This same opening, if you would. (laughs) Keeping it before us in hopes to prompt us to look up. To keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the author. He's the perfecter 
of this which He had begun in us. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us. It is His loving kindness that brings us to repentance. It's God working through the Holy Spirit, ultimately through Christ, to bring forth redemption to a creation that is in rebellion towards Him. It is God's plan. It is God's purpose. I keep reminding us that man would not create this. So God is pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus, that we might be restored back to him. But now it's a new way of living. If you truly have come to Christ, you have been born again. You've been born again of the spirit. And so you're to walk habitually in the spirit so that you're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. And that is hard work. That is sustained effort. And it's not in and of yourself. So that's why you are drawing close to God daily, hourly, moment by moment. As the Spirit of the Lord is leading you. As you're feeling the conviction. As you're maturing and growing and you're applying truth. As you're recognizing the warfare that is around you. And that the truth is that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So that you can remain upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation. As we know, this generation is getting more wicked and more perverse. And it's only going to continue. So unless you want to be swept away with the damned, I would encourage you to apply the truth that you're hearing. You're hearing it. God is pleased to reveal himself to you and you can't keep resisting him. Because there is a day of coming when you're going to stand before him. It's not about holding a form of religion. It's not about, you know, I went to church, I said a little prayer, I do my little this and I do my little that. No, are you truly in Christ? Are you a new creation? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Are you giving your all to him? He is to be sitting on the throne of your heart. And you're not seeking him for what he can do for you, but what you do for him. Like he's created you. He knows you. He's prepared good works for you to do. He's the one that calls you. He's the one that equips you. He's the one that sends you. He's the one that keeps you. He's the one that protects you. He's the one that goes before you. He's the one that's your rear guard. He's the one that sings songs of deliverance over you. He's the one that satisfies you. It's all Christ. It's all for Him. He had the majority of people sitting in churches today and have sat in churches and will continue to sit in churches don't even know him. Oh, they know of him. Uh, they've heard of him. But they're not intimately acquainted with him. They have not been born again of the Spirit. And so I've been encouraging you for over a year now the importance of application. It is sustained effort. It is hard work. The Christian life is not a kumbaya life. It's not what, what you want and how you want it, when you want it. No, it's a, it's a life now that is caught out. Caught out of darkness and brought into the light. We are now children of light. 
I'm not quite sure why we're still feasting off darkness and why we continue to go back, why we continue to laugh at it. Oh, I know why we do. (laughs) I'm just not unsure why we continue to. (laughs) Because that which is behind us is of the old. We're new now. And we ought to start living that way. Especially as we see the signs of the times all around us. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities in the air and the darkness. And so it's vital, it's vital that you are applying truth. Because the degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding how the word applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. We must actually apply it. So when you think of Christmas, you know, it's a nice little holiday. That's fine. We do it at this time of year. We recognize it's the birth of Christ. It shouldn't be every, it shouldn't be just one time a year. Every day, you should understand the, the value and the importance of the birth of Christ. And how his cry pierced the darkness. And oh, what a silent night, I believe. Upon the earth, it probably was. Shepherds in the field, Mary and Joseph in the manger. The animals doing their thing. The hustling and the bustling of of Bethlehem. Life just going on with people. Man, what the warfare that must have been taking place in the heavenlies. Mm. Enemy not knowing the hour or the day or the time. That the child, the Christ child would be born. But once he got wind of it. All those baby boys were slaughtered. I mean when you think about the birth of Jesus. And you have, we have our little celebrations, we have our decorations, we, get, we have our get-togethers, but do we truly understand the importance of his birth? And I love that song because the soul will finally feel its worth. Do we truly understand from that baby, the man that came forth? God wrapped inhumanity coming to destroy sin and death to release us from oppression to deliver us unto righteousness to silence the enemy to engraft us into a kingdom that cannot be shaken to make us heirs To the throne. Not because we've done anything, but because he's done everything. Oh, how I pray that we would reflect and truly understand the importance of the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The promised one. The one that was 
prophesied. <laughs> the one that was to come has come and is coming again. But as we know, he's not coming as a little baby. No, he's coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And God help us to be in Christ when he comes. That we're just not outside of Christ in the world. Lost with the damned. Doing our own thing. Living however we want. Coming to church when we want. Doing Jesus when we want. Making it about us. Our institutions. Our ways. Living for self. Satisfying self. Running amok. Angry. Lustful. Jealous. Having all this junk that's still defining us. And that's not even who we're supposed to be. And is that where Christ is going to find you when he returns? In yourself? The way you live your life? Are you valuing the birth of Christ? The life of Christ? The death of Christ? The, the resurrection of Christ? The ultimate, the ultimate return of Christ? Or are you just trampling over him? Are you living a life as if you would have aborted him? That he means nothing. Oh, it's cute. It's a nice little story. Oh, baby Jesus, blah, 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 blah. But it means nothing. There's no value. See, you know and he knows. He knows our heart. You know. You know. You know what goes on in your heart and in your mind. And the most crazy thing is, is that we know, people know, and yet they do not surrender. They keep pretending. As if they're one that's called in. As if they're one of the elect. And yet they so deceive themselves into thinking they're on their way in. I mean, when you think of the call of a disciple, when you think of being born again of a new nature, are you valuing what Christ values? I've been trying to encourage over the past few weeks the call of a disciple. You ought to be, you, you are set apart. You are to be living for Christ, announcing Christ, proclaiming Christ, discipling others in Christ, sharing Christ, not just laughing along with people, not just going along with people. No, no. We can't do it like it used to be. Christ is the standard. Christ and Christ alone. And yet the world doesn't want to hear it. Most people sitting in churches do not want to hear it. They want their ears tickled. Give us our little festive celebrations and make us feel good. But the reality is, the gospel 
Why did he come? How was he born? I pray that you would reflect on it this week. And that it will be a continual reflection until you take your last breath. This isn't some kumbaya little story. This little, you know, oh, it's so sweet and so kind and so precious and so lovely. No, it's intense. There's nothing else like it. Because there's no one else like him. He's God. He's God. And he's come to redeem mankind. He knows what's coming. He knows the wrath that is stored up. And in that knowledge, he provides a way out. I don't know who you've talked to this week. I don't know who you've encouraged this week. But you ought to be about your father's business. Because application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our life. The application of scripture forces and furthers, enlightens our study, and it also serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us better distinguish between good and evil. You ought to be able to distinguish between good and evil. Nope, I ought not to go that way. Nope, I ought not to be viewing this. No, I ought not to be touching this. No, I ought not to be thinking this. No, I ought not to be speaking this. No, I ought to be able to stand and not fall every which way for every everything that comes my way. No, I ought to be growing and maturing and doing that which is good. Not in my own strength. In and of myself, I can't. But in Christ, I can. Because as we read last week, he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. So I keep asking not only you all, but myself, why then aren't we living it? What excuses then do you have? What circumstances and situations going on in your life that's provoking everything to drive you back to your past? Instead of remaining steadfast, secured, rooted in Christ. And then to be able to understand that you choose good over evil. Because I'm not partaking of that any longer. So, Holy Spirit, give me a greater desire and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness for your name's sake. I don't know, have you looked around lately? Have you been around people lately? Has your heart not been broken for the damned? For the lost? Or are we still pretending everyone's going to heaven? Are we still just going along with their lives because that's just what we do because we just want, you know, everyone to feel good. But we're talking about eternity. We're talking about a warfare like we have no concept of. Not for land on earth, but for the souls of man. 
for the souls of men and women, boys and girls. <laughs> and yet you're called out to be one who is sent in to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God, of the one in whom you're celebrating his birth. And why he came. The celebration of it. Oh my goodness. Each day we're celebrating. Each day you ought to be getting up celebrating the birth of Christ. Amen. The life of Christ. The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the coming of Christ. You ought to be encouraging yourself daily and encouraging others with the good news of Christ. Instead of living this weird Christian life people live. <laughs> Naming Christ, but looking like the damned. Demons do that. This is warfare. I don't know if your prayer life is growing. I don't know if you're maturing. I don't know what you're doing. I can see what you put on when we're all together. But the reality is what's happening when you're out and about, when you're alone. How are you living? Because that's really your character. So I keep telling you, I'm not, I'm not impressed any longer. By people and what they're saying, what they're doing. Ah. It's the character of the individual and how they live their lives when they're not around the people that they're trying to impress. I pray that we awaken to the urgency of the hour. I've spent over a year now trying to encourage us to grow, to mature. And again, if you're not growing, you're not maturing, you haven't applied, well, don't beat yourself up. Don't make it all about you. <laughs> but just see how wicked you are <laughs> and repent. Feel convicted of the Holy Spirit. Come to Christ. You're not far from Him. Come to Christ. Turn to Christ. While you still have breath in your body, you have an opportunity to turn to Him and in turning and in genuine repentance, a sincere regret and remorse, the Father swoops you up. And you're no longer counted among the damned. You're counted among the loved. The one that's been born again the ones that have been engrafted in, the ones who are now his children. And he satisfies you. He sustains you. He keeps you. You ought not to be turning from him. But to abide in him. As I've shared over the past couple of weeks, deception leads to doubt. Then the spirit of deception is getting stronger and stronger and stronger upon the earth. And it ought not to surprise us because we're told that's what's going to happen. The earth is preparing for its antichrist. I don't know if you think about that. <laughs> you understand 
It's going to be able to deceive the masses. Doctrines of demons are already entering in and have already entered in and have been in, but they're at a greater level among the churches, preparing for the one who's coming, the great deceiver. And the church were to be preparing for the return of the Messiah, the Christ. That's why we're living differently. So we have a hope that is beyond hope. So we have the light, and yet we're going to be hated. Yet we're going to be shunned. Yet we're going to be pushed out. Because darkness does not want light. I mean, Jesus came and he knew. His people didn't flock to him. No, they loved the darkness more than the light. Not everybody's coming to Jesus and not everybody who claims Jesus is a follower of Christ. So deception is rising up. And as deception rises up, comes along with a doubt. Doubting God. Questioning God. Is he God? Did he really say? Do we have to really obey? Can we just do what we want? Can we just live however we want and keep identifying however we want? Enjoying the things that we want? Shacking up? And carrying on like a fool. Keep going back and allowing our brokenness, our woundedness, our junk from our past to keep defining us. And he's come to deliver us. I go, God, help us. Help me. So when deception, when you allow yourself to give in to being deceived and doubt to take root, it leads to the hardening of the heart. Become resistant and hardened to the things of God. Then you wonder, are you way off? There's good news It's good news if you're truly a believer and you find yourself there. He's given you the weapons of your warfare to demolish those strongholds. Repent. Turn from your sin. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you and run the race that is set before you in the strength provided by God through Christ. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You're not to be living a life grieving the Holy Spirit No, he's supposed to be carrying you, comforting you, counseling you, empowering you because he's equipped you to live what Christ has called you out of. To live as Christ lived. I don't know about you, but is that standard set for you? I just can't meet it. You've got all these excuses. And you realize those excuses that you find comfort in, that I might find comfort in, is doubting God. 
It's actually stripping Christ down and making him common. And that's demonic. Oh, we got to wake up, church. We got to wake up. Because we're to be the people of God, doing the will of God for the glory of God. The birth of Christ. The cry of the baby God wrapped in flesh from the manger pierced the darkness, broke the silence. Emmanuel, God with us. He's come to deliver us. And the church ought to be excited because she's been delivered. And so this isn't a humdrum, you know, uh, burdensome yoke. <laughs> no, it's the best news. I don't know if you remember who you were. The man, I think about, and I'm not even finished yet, because we're not complete until we're with him. But what he does in our lives, and I can remember like God, like I wouldn't be, this is, this is incredible. This is, what? Like this is God doing, this is you, it's all for you, it's you. Because none of us is looking for him. I was reflecting this week and just the Christmases I spent when I wasn't a Christian. You know, I just showed up, showed up. The parties. Even went to candlelight services here and there. You know, did things just to do. Played Christian you know, Christian Christmas music in the home. Oh, it's Jesus' birth. And not even knowing anything. Just going along. Getting drunk, getting stoned, getting high, sleeping with anyone and everyone. Oh, but there's baby Jesus. Running amok. Running amok. Just caught up in the festivities. Wasn't even looking for him. Didn't even care. Mocked the little Christians that made it so important to them. Okay, whatever. Wow. What a difference. (laughs) When God steps in. And your soul finally feels its worth. Oh, don't let that, don't let that phrase just fall on deaf ears. Like what? And you loved me that much? Like what? Like he loves you that much? He's continuing to pursue you? Are you making a mockery of him? I mean, my God, (laughs) apart from him, that's what we do, even in our religious works. Maybe you weren't as bad, oh, you were were worse than me. No, no, we're all bad. (laughs) We're all bad because we're all sinners. You just hid yours, I just lived mine out. (laughs) These religious people just going through the works, (laughs) just doing the things. Somehow they're saved. And yet they don't even live like Christ. They don't even know Christ. 
They don't even proclaim Christ. Oh, amen, amen. They may agree here and there, but that agreement falls short as soon as they're given the opportunity for self. <laughs> I don't know what we're thinking. I don't know who we think we know or who we are wrapped up in. Oh, how I pray that you know Jesus. The only Jesus. The true Christ. The true deliverer. And not just caught up. Are you truly, sincerely, loving Christ? Have you been born again? Because what a sad, sad end for you to know all of this, to even celebrate it and die apart from him, to take your last breath and stand before him and, and he say to you, I never knew you. Oh, but I sung Silent Night. I went to church. <laughs> I said my little prayers. I tried to live a good life, the right life. Life was just so hard. Like you realize when we say that, listen, I've been there. So like I told you, I don't, I, I don't make light of it, but that's the reality. Like we, we, we're making a mockery of him. I just keep hearing... Jesus' words, do you want to be healed? Mm. You realize there's a bunch of sick people, as I've shared before, around that pool. He didn't ask all of them. He asked one. And even though that one had a lot of excuses, he said, That's on, do you want to be healed? Then get up, pick up your mat, and walk. <laughs> we have all of our excuses to stay enslaved to sin. Do you understand who you're turning yourself over to? The very one who has been your father, <laughs> Satan. Yeah. Apart from Christ, he's the one leading you. He's your daddy. He's the one that you keep going back to with all of your drama, with all of your issues, with all of your brokenness and just being defined by it. And my life is miserable and my life sucks and my life this and my life that. So I'm just going to sit here. And yet, and yet, you don't even tremble when you throw up a little prayer and you say, Jesus' name. Like, you understand how you're being played. You understand how the enemy's keeping him down and his foot on your neck. <laughs> and we're just supposed to go along with it. Listen, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's coming next year. But I can tell you this, whatever it is, it's darker. <laughs> this is what the Bible tells us. Oh, 
the signs of the times are among us. No one knows the day and the hour. <laughs> but there is an appointed time. And as Christians, in this world we will have trouble. Your past and your all that junk <laughs> that you keep allowing yourself to serve is going to try to rest upon you. That's when you have to, because you've applied truth, because you actually truly believe in whom you say you believe in, you know, you, you, know, you have this confession <laughs> and this belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he rose from the dead. Like, you understand, I keep telling you that that's the foundation of your life. And if that's not your foundation, no wondering. No wonder you keep crumbling down. Because as Christians, yeah, you're going to go through life. Your woundings and your past and all that behind you. It's going to try to raise up and rise up every which way. The enemy's going to come with a full assault against you. Life is going to clash up against you. That's why it's vital that you're maturing. So that you can stand. I mean, I look back through my Christian life and all the junk that has tried to push me out. Even the times where I said, I'm done. Like this is, who does this? This is crazy, God. I've had my moments. I've had my seasons. I'm like, what? Doubt sets in. Discouragement lays down. But he keeps us. He sustains us. Like, what? Wait, we want... No, then you just get up because then you realize, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What am I doing? What am I thinking? Why am I? No, no, no. Jesus is Lord. He's the Son of God. He rose from the dead. Oh, wait a minute. What am I doing? Chain back up. Oh, the devil did it to me. No, 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 no. You took the chains back and you put them on yourself. Because they feel comfortable. Because your old life feels comfortable to you. You can't even step and go move forward. And you can't blame Jesus. Because he's made a way. Is that your belief? Then live it. Apply it. Grow in it. The Bible. The word of God. It's who you are now. It's your identity. That's why you look intently into it. But you don't close it, walk away from it, and forget who you are. No, it's your identity now. How then now shall I live? I don't know, apart from Christ, how to live as Christ. <laughs> so if I'm born again of a nature that I don't even know, that's opposite from the very core and the very depth of my being, my identity, I can't be flipping about it. I can't just go through the motions. Oh, no. I've got to keep my eyes on him. He entered the world. God wrapped in humanity to deliver humanity. And everything and everyone was against him. And yet, he considered it joy. 
to get to the cross. He knew his purpose. Do you know your purpose? You ought to, child of God, if you're truly a child of God. If you're not, I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know why you want to sit among the losing team. <laughs> this is great news. This is great news. <laughs> like this is victory. And nothing of you, <laughs> but all of Christ. He won, you all. <laughs> He's victorious. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Like everything works according to his plan. And that's why I keep saying over the past month, you cannot continue to submit to these lesser gods. Because that's where you want to stay with your family, with your friends, with your life. Continue to submit to these lesser gods that aren't even God. Oh, how we need to wake up. Go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The sign of Emmanuel. The hope that was prophesied. God with us. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I don't know how you're training up your children. I don't know how you're training up your grandchildren. I don't know how you're training up this next generation. I don't care what their age is. I mean, you realize what we've done and what's been done to us. Like what was passed on. I wish to goodness and I praise God because there were people in my life that came along the path of my life that were true Christians. I hated them. I didn't want nothing to do with them, but oh, how now I can look how they influenced, how they planted, and how they watered. Because ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that brings forth the harvest in your heart and your life of the gospel of salvation. But unfortunately, they were the few. Because I was surrounded by a lot of people who just named Christ. Good church folk. <laughs> but they're counted among the damned, you see. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. <laughs> they talked a good talk. They walked a good walk. Until it was time for them to give in to their flesh. I didn't know God. They, they, they weren't sharing. They weren't living. It was just a form of godliness, but they denied the power of God to transform their life. And it's only increasing. Deception, remember? There's a lot of religious people. And not just of other religions, but religious People in the church, in the church, in the church. So the generations look. Shh. You don't have to be so fanatical about Jesus. 
just go this way. You understand the tactics of the enemy. <laughs> oh, how I pray our hearts and our minds and our eyes are open. He who has ears, let him hear. Seriously, you all. How are you living your life among the damned? How are you living your life among your religious family? (laughs) They love Jesus. They go to church. They do this. They do that. You know good and well by the fruit of their life that they're stripping down Jesus and making him common. He's really nothing to them but a good luck charm. Do you understand that's been around since the beginning? Do you understand when you, when you read through the prophets? Do you understand what the people of God were doing? The masses. <coughs> and God calls them out. Oh, but... Do away with the Old Testament. Yeah, that's not God anymore. You understand what's being said to the church. Like we gotta wake up. We gotta wake up. We gotta live this out, y'all. We gotta be excited. We gotta walk upright. You can't just keep bending with them. Walk upright. Share the truth. Love them. Serve them. But don't deny Christ for them. What are they going to think? Who cares? Are you living for man or are you living for Christ? Are you denying Christ so that your family, your friends, your co-workers, people uh, are more comfortable? Remember, they would rather love the darkness so we've got to stop making excuses. We've got to stop going along. We've got to stop being God to them. We've got to stop just allowing them access to all this false stuff. No, we've got to be the one in the wilderness crying out, stay away from that. Stop going that way. No, I'm sorry. I know you're sitting in church. I know you go to Sunday school. I know you read your Bible. I know you pray, but you're not saved. How dare you judge me? No, I love you. It's not judgment. It's calling you. It's calling you to come to Christ. Because you're holding a form of religion. Because you're denying the power of God to transform your life. I need time. I need time. God's working on me. Oh, yeah, God is working on me. That's why he's given me the ability and the strength to call it out. Because as soon as you leave church, you're shacking up. You're addicted to everything and anything that's out there. You're running amok. And then you're dragging your kids to Sunday school. You're dragging your kids to church. You're running amok. You're just doing whatever. And then somehow, some way, that's Jesus. This is what we've come to. That's Jesus. That's how God works. I can't do it, y'all. Woo! That is not Jesus. 
That is not the resurrected Christ. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, we have to wake up <laughs> to the things of Christ. It's going to be uncomfortable. In our generation and in the generations to come. And we're not even preparing our loved ones for what's coming. We're just sending them out among the damned. Be like them. I can't do it. Not for all that Christ has done in my life. Just to set back and just be whatever so that people are fine with who they are. Oh no. Like seriously, you all. Seriously. But the promised child, Christ the Messiah, Emmanuel, prophesied way back when. Isaiah 7, verse 14. If you haven't read the chapter 7, please do. But anyways, all right then, this is what the prophet said to the king. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I spent time this year talking about prophecy already. God is faithful to what he has established. It is his plan. It is his purpose. It's all coming. Nothing's stopping it. Nothing's greater than him. And why we keep trying to strip him down and make him common. No, no, no. He's God. He's great. He's good. He's loving. He's kind. He's merciful. He's slow to angry. But he's a God of wrath. He's a God of judgment. Oh, he's coming. Sound the alarm. Come into the ark. Hurry, hurry. The floodwaters are rising. Get into Christ. Everything has already been spoken. Everything is coming to pass. You can't make this up. Well, I don't know if I could trust the Bible. Okay, whatever. Stay damned. Your choice. I don't know what to tell you. What does it mean you don't trust the Bible? Well, because man, because the judge, because man, because... Hey, I, what? I keep telling you man would never expose the condition of man. Man will never expose the condition of our nature and then expose the nature of a holy God. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> Why is he hated so much? Why, since the beginning, have the things of God, the message of deliverance, tried to be thwarted? It can't be. Try as they may, try as the enemy wants. All of it is serving the purposes of God. To expose the condition of the created and revealing the majesty 
of God. <laughs> Glory to the highest. I mean, I don't know you all. I said, Jesus, come on. But this is who we're serving. Go to Luke. Chapter 2. Verse 1 through 20. The birth of Jesus. Oh, how I pray you're excited or convicted. One or the other. Come to Jesus, you all. You can't make this up. Why would you continue to resist him? Why would you continue to rebel against him? Why are you continuing to allow your old nature, your old ways, your old hurts, your old drama continue to define you? You realize it's your choice. Well, because this. No, no, it's your choice. No, things just don't work out. I got a cloud over me. No, 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 no. It's your choice to stay under the cloud. It's your choice to stay on the mat. It's your choice to stay schizophrenic up and down, left and right, here today, gone tomorrow. It's your choice to get up and remain addicted. It's your choice to take in all that's happening to you and allow it to define you. It's your choice to stay angry. It's your choice to keep lying and deceiving. It's your choice to not be a hard worker. It's your choice not to live with good morals. It's your choice. Well, you don't know my life. Ah, I know your life because I see it. It's your choice. It was my choice. It's everyday choice. How then now shall I live if I'm a Christian for Christ? Learning of Christ. Loving Christ. When everything maybe within me in that moment doesn't want to love him, doesn't even want to learn from him, but pressing in. Allowing myself to choose daily to live for Christ when I know everything out there is against me, when everything within me wants nothing of it. But then being reminded how much he's done for me, for you. So we got to stop making excuses. Again, this isn't a kumbaya life. This is hard work. This is sustained effort. But the good news is, is he's, it's finished. Like, oh, that we would truly begin to see him for who he is. Chapter 2 of Luke. We'll read 1 through 20. At the time, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Corinth was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home, he tra- David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Gal- Galilee. He took with him Mary, 
to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were on their, oh, I'm sorry, and while they were there, the time came closer for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, <laughs> praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let us go to Bethlehem. Let's see the thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened <laughs> at the angel <clears throat> and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's stories were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And so we hear this. And we just want to strip him down and make him common. Like, do you understand the vastness of the power of God? Do you understand these shepherds were just in the field minding their own business? And suddenly an angel appears. And they were terrified as we should be. Like, oh God. But oh, how I love the reassurance that these angels give. Do not be afraid. Give this message. And then, did you hear what happened? The heavens opened up. And the vast armies of heaven were praising God. And we just want to live these common Christian lives, doing what we want, whatever. We have no fear of God. I'm telling y'all, if you don't wake up and truly get right with God, you can't blame him. It's you. Remember, it's you. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who is pleased to reveal himself to you. He's the one that wrapped himself up in humanity to come to deliver you. So that you would be free from the oppressor and the oppression that you find so comfortable living in. I'm telling you, you got to wake up. And we got to start announcing the goodness of our God. You understand the message that we now carry 
as the angels carried to those who are just about doing their life, that we can step in and begin to share the good news. The gospel. Jesus has been born. There's hope for mankind. Turn to God. Be reconciled back to God through Christ. The Son in which He provided to save your very soul. This is good news, you all. This is the great news. And we want to just give to this next generation this, this cheap God that has no power and turn them over to these false gods with, their, with these false powers. Like, oh God, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. And we got to start saying, not on my watch. No more. I'm done with it. By the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the call and the redemptive love of Christ, via the Holy Spirit, drawing me to repentance, I renounce the sin that so easily entangles me. I do not want to continue to partake of a nature that is in rebellion to the God of heaven. Forgive me, Father. And I receive this great salvation that you provided for me. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done. It changes your life, you all. And if it hasn't, then something's wrong with your Christianity. You're following doctrines of demons. That's what the Bible tells us. Deception is rising. And it's going to continue. And that's why it's the church. The church. We are the messengers now that go forth and proclaim the good news. Oh, you don't need to be afraid. Oh, this message is of great joy. God came. He wrapped himself in humanity as a baby to deliver you. Not because there's anything good in you. No, you're absolutely not good. You're wicked. You're in rebellion to his holy throne. But he's made a way. He's made a way. He's made a way through Jesus. Don't continue to strip Christ and keep whipping him and beating him and spitting upon him and just stomping on his blood as if it means nothing. No, 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 no. Come to Christ. Come into Christ and be saved. And see the glory of God. That you too may praise him as the vast army of heaven praises him. Like, do you understand? And did we, we, we peddle out this cheap gospel? I can't do it, you all. I won't do it. I see what it's up or what we're up against. Just look around you. I can go forth in confidence, not because of me. I haven't been theologically trained. I've just been swiftly humbled. By God Almighty, who looked upon me and said, Nope, he's mine. And he's revealed himself as he does with each of us. So I'm telling you all, this is great news. As we look towards Christmas, it should be every day, but as we're looking to the end of next week, 
beginning of X. Christmas. Christmas. The glory, the majesty, the power of God displayed through the birth of the promised child. Emmanuel. God with us. I've got this devotional I want to share with us before we finish our scripture. Carrie, what time is it? 11.45. And I came across this and I thought, oh, this is, this is kind of a nice wrap, a way to wrap up our year and kind of put a bow on kind of what we've been in, especially going through a few months of learning prophecies and the importance of prophecies. So this devotion I found from the website Answers in Genesis, and it's by Tim Caffey. Fulfilled prophecies of the birth of Christ. The events associated with the birth of Jesus fulfilled numerous Old Testament prophecies given centuries before the events they described. The shepherds returned. Glorifying God and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Millions of Christians around the world choose to celebrate the birth of Jesus during this time of year. Some on December 24th or 25th and others on January 7th. While some choose not to celebrate at all. <clears throat> whenever a Christian, Whenever a Christian decides to celebrate or if he elects not to celebrate his birth, we can all rejoice in the fact that by putting on humanity, the Son of God became one of us to deal with our sin by dying in our place before conquering death when he rose from the dead. The Gospel of Matthew gives us another reason to be thankful. The events associated with the birth of Jesus fulfilled numerous Old Testament prophecies given centuries before the events they described. Matthew 1.22 introduces a common statement in his work. He wrote, So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Since he used the phrasing in at least a dozen passages, Matthew knew it was important to point out to his readers that many of the events he described fulfilled specific prophecies. Let's look back at some of these ancient proclamations before explaining why these give us a cause to celebrate. The first use of the fulfillment phrase mentioned before, above, I'm sorry, above, introduces one of the best known prophecies in the Bible. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call him his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. In reference to the birth of Jesus, Matthew cited a specific prophecy that from Isaiah made more than 700 years earlier. <laughs> Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Just as foretold, the virgin Mary indeed did conceive and bore a son who is called Emmanuel. This amazing event demonstrates God's infinite knowledge and power. He is capable for foretelling the future with perfect precision. And he has the power to bring his prophecies to pass, even, even if that means a virgin would, connect, would need to conceive and bear a son. After Christ's birth, the Magi arrived in Jerusalem. Herod gathered the chief priests and scribes and asked them where the Messiah was going to be born. They responded by citing an Old Testament prophecy. 
pinpointing Bethlehem as the birthplace of Christ. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod's murderous response of slaughtering the young boys of Bethlehem led to the fulfillment of three more prophecies. First, this tragic massacre fulfilled the words of Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping in great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The original context of this prophecy has to do with the mothers in Israel lamenting for the deportation of their sons to Babylon. These mothers were persecuted, I'm sorry, were, were personified as Rachel. The mother in the days of the patriarchs whose sons Joseph and Benjamin had also been threatened with being no more. Ramah was a town close to Jerusalem and associated with Rachel's tomb. The second prophecy resulting from Herod's paranoid rage took place after Joseph took Mary and Jesus to Egypt. Upon their return, God's words to Hosea were fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. This prophecy was originally made as a statement of history. God had called and brought Israel out of Egypt, guided by the Holy Spirit. Matthew used these words to refer to the Messiah. The final prophecy discussed by Matthew pertaining to the events in the early years of Jesus has to do with his boyhood home. God warned Joseph in a dream not to go back to Judea. So instead, he took Mary and Jesus to Nazareth and Galilee, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. This statement has confused Christians because the Old Testament does not seem to make this specific prediction. Skeptics have jumped on this verse, claiming that it's a contradiction of Scripture. However, there are no, I'm sorry, however, there are a few plausible solutions to this dilemma. One, Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the Old Testament law and was like a Nazarite who vowed to separate himself to the Lord. However, this is an unlikely explanation since no record exists of Jesus making this vow, and if he did make one, he would have broken it when he drank wine or vinegar. Also, even though the words Nazarite and Nazareth look and sound similar in English, they are unrelated in Hebrew. Number two, Nazareth comes from the root word Nazar, which means branch, and multiple prophets spoke of the Messiah as the branch. Three, Nazareth was looked upon with scorn. Even Nathaniel asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Several prophets revealed that the Messiah would be despised and rejected by men. And finally, Matthew may have recorded an oral tradition handed down from the prophets that was not written in the Old Testament, or perhaps it was a prophecy recorded in a non-extant, non-chronical work familiar to Matthew 4. Also notice that Matthew indicated that the prophets, plural, had spoken about this rather than simply indicating that one particular prophet mentioned these things. Whatever the, prophet, whatever the proper solution is to this dilemma, it is clear that Matthew did not introduce a contradiction in the text. So this unique Savior, while thinking about the circumstances surrounding Christ's birth, Christians can rejoice that the Messiah has come to the earth and dealt with our sin. 
We can praise God for fulfilling his promises and we can have complete confidence. Oh, did you hear that? We can have complete confidence that he will always be faithful to do what he has declared. Despite what many believers today, the religions and religious leaders of the world are not the same. Many people in our culture promote this ridiculous claim that Jesus was just another religious leader. A good person who tried to make life better for others. But Jesus is unique. In so many respects, he alone was a good person since he lived a sinful life. Every other religious leader has been sinful and needed a savior. But Jesus did not need a savior. He is the savior. There are no prophecies for telling details about the birth of other religious leaders. There's no prophecies alerted to the, to the world, to the coming of Muhammad, Joseph Smith, David Koresh, Charles Russell, Buddha, or any other founder of the world's religions. religions. Yet the Old Testament pinpointed numerous details about the life of the Son of God and the Savior of the world. So what do these prophecies tell us about Jesus? In just the first two chapters of Matthew, we see that God foretold the virginal conception of the Messiah. Who would be born in Bethlehem, yet in some way would come out of Egypt and be called a Nazarene? We also see the bitter agony would grip the mothers in that area. And the genealogy recorded in Matthew's first chapter, we discover the fulfillment of several Old Testament prophecies. Jesus was from the line of Abraham, Jacob, Judah, Jesse, and David. But that's not all. A search through the rest of Scripture would reveal dozens of other details prophesied about the Messiah, including the following facts. He would enter Jerusalem on a donkey's colt. He would be betrayed by a friend. The betrayer would be for 30 pieces of silver. The money would be used to purchase the potter's field. The Messiah would die a sacrificial death for us. He would die with criminals, but his burial would be with the wealthy. He would raise, he would rise from the dead. He would say certain words on the cross. He would be mocked and people would gamble for his clothes. Many other prophecies could be listed that were perfectly fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. These were not lucky guesses made by fraudulent procrastination procrastinators. The, they were precise predictions made by the all-knowing God of the Bible who repeatedly demonstrated that he has perfect knowledge of all past, present, and future events. So consequently, we can be completely confident that he will... Huh, that he will always make good on his promises and that those future events he has foretold will certainly come to pass. So conclusion, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth in a humble manner, the savior of the world and God of all creation put on humanity to die for our sins and conquer death, giving the hope of salvation to all who turn from their sin and believe on him. One day, he will return in judgment. And he will not appear as a seemingly helpless baby, but as the risen, glorified, sovereign Lord and judge. What would it be like for you when he returns? Will you be safe and secure because you have been saved by his amazing grace? Or will you tremble in fear before the holy and righteous God as you are condemned for rejecting his gracious offer of salvation. If 
you are currently an unbeliever, I urge you to turn from your sin and cry out to Jesus to save you from the eternal torment we all deserve for our rebellion against the infinitely holy creator. I pray that you would find the same joy shared by the shepherds who visited Jesus on the night he was born. Lord, you all. The birth of Christ. The birth of Christ. We can't just keep making it common. Living and doing however we want. And somehow that's pleasing to God. Like, oh, we need to wake up to the reality that is before us. To the reality that is before us. Christ is returning for those who have been born again. For those whom he has been pleased to be revealed to. The Holy Spirit has moved upon and through his loving kindness draws us to repentance that we might receive this free gift of eternal life. Why would you continue to resist him? Listen, I've resisted him for years. And the answer to that why is because we really don't want him. Because all that junk that has oppressed us and kept us, we still find some type of value and comfort in. But I'm telling you now, you better wake up. You better look around. It's all lies and deception. And you're basing your life on your desires. Because the Bible says where does sin come from? From your desires that are from within. But if you're a child of God, you have learned. Or you should be learning because you should be being discipled. How not to allow your desires to master you any longer. Because Christ is your master. And there is a way in which you're called to live. This is the birth of Christ. This is why we celebrate. And oh, how we better not portray it to to the upcoming generations as it's nothing. As it's just, oh, it's a nice little story. Oh no. Let them understand the majesty and the power of God. And the provision that God made through his son that they too might live. This is the good news, you all. Go to Matthew chapter 6. We started a few weeks ago going through the sermon that Jesus preached. I want to finish it. So we're breaking it down. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We see the Sermon on the Mount. And I would encourage you all, uh, take some time. Don't rush through scripture. Meditate upon it. Apply it. Be discipled in it. These are Jesus' words that are recorded for us. And so this part today is the teaching on money and possessions. Again, Jesus' words. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where robbers break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven which moth, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. 
Your heart, you all. It's a matter of the heart. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, oh my Jesus, how deep that darkness is. Talking about deception, you all? You think you're in, but you're not. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work and make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously. And He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Jesus' words, you all. Seek first his kingdom. And trust me, as you do, it's going to be added to you. He's going to care for you. I'm not seeking him to gain the earthly things, you all. I'm seeking him to store my treasures in heaven. But while I'm still here, I know my God will provide. I know my God cares. I have confidence. Oh, there's been seasons I doubted. There's been seasons I was like, I don't know. But he's always humbled me to remind me, I've got you. I've got you. He has us. If we're truly in Christ, he has us. And so we're not seeking and he's not doing this weird teaching, not being a good steward. You know? No, you're to be a good steward of all that he's entrusted to you. Everything is for him. You're just managing what he's given you. And if you're not a good manager, when you stand before him, what? So you learn to steward what you've been given. 
And how can He give you more if you're not faithful with little? See, we want everything. Now, God, now. And if you don't do it now, I'm done with you. What? That type of attitude? Well, God's not moving in my life. Well, because you're not faithful with the little He's given you. You just think God is just like a genie? He's a pff, everything, boom, pff. Not even faithful with the day He's given you, the hour He just gave you. Because you're running amok. Running your mouth. Crazy thoughts. Giving in, giving up, giving out. Giving yourself over to anyone and anything. i got to do this just to meet a need. Oh, do you? <laughs> I'm telling you, we got to wake up. These are Jesus' words. They're very clear. My kingdom. My kingdom. First seek my kingdom. And have confidence that I will supply everything you need. But Jesus is not going my way. Life's hard. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Remember he told us, in this world you will have trouble. Be of good cheer. I mean, I read these stories from these persecuted Christians. Deny Christ or lose everything. I'm not denying Christ. And everything is taken from them. They're chased out of their homes where they were been for the majority of their life. And now they're wandering. In places that aren't safe for Christians. And yet, they're kingdom-minded. I'm not denying them. And what we've done over in the West, I keep telling y'all, life blows up against us and all of a sudden we forget Jesus. All of a sudden, I gotta do me, I gotta do me, I gotta make it about me, I gotta, ah! Like what? I'm telling you, you gotta wake up. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Are you in Christ? Are you seeking his kingdom first above all? Well, I don't know. Well, why don't you know? You ought to be discipled. You should have a greater hunger and a thirst for Christ. And that hunger and thirst should be getting greater and more greater and more greater and more greater as you're growing in Christ. Because you're never going to be complete. And your Christian life Yeah, mountains, valleys, ups and downs, left and right. God, where are you? It's right here. In you. Walking you through it. Saying, would you stop doing that? Why are you keep living as if you don't belong to me? I don't know how else to think. Let me show you. Let me teach you. Abide in me. Remain in me. But it's so hard. Yes. Because it's warfare. Get up. Persevere. Trials come in our lives to produce something within us. Perseverance. Perseverance. Character. See, he's working out that old broken character of ours that despises him, that rejects him. Oh, we got to wake up, y'all. Find comfort in the words of Jesus. How are we doing on time? 12.10. Go to 2 Chronicles, chapter 11. I'm going to have it played 
for us. But follow along. Here through chapter 11 through 13. And remember the book of Chronicles. Started it this year. We've gone through the first. We're in the second one now. And remember, these are the people being returned to the promised land out of bondage. A generation of people who have no identity. They don't even know their God that well, much less their identity as the people of God. And yet the chronicler is reminding them how great their God is, how their God is to be worshipped, and he's reminding them of their identity as the people of God who's been called out from among the nations to represent God. And as it was for them, so it is for us today. You understand? You've been called out of the dominion of hell, of darkness. And you've been brought in to light, to this new kingdom that you know nothing about. But all along, it's been your identity. It's just been robbed from you. But you're given the truth to know your God and to know his kingdom and to know your identity. So that when you look back at what did try to define you, you go, it doesn't even compare. What am I going back there for? Why am I still having these thoughts? Why am I still... Moving? No, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit right. It doesn't even sound right. It doesn't even look right on me anymore. Because I'm the child of the king. So listen to these words. And follow the pattern as we've been going through the Old Testament where God is being revealed. And the whole purpose of walking through scriptures is that you will understand the character of God because you're not to be learning your theology from the devil, from the world, or even from yourself. It's from God that you must learn of him. So Carrie, if you would play chapter 11 through 13. Chapter 11. Playing from Carrie's iPhone. When Rehoboam arrived at Jerusalem, he mobilized the men of Judah and Benjamin. 180,000 select troops to fight against Israel and to restore the kingdom to himself. But the Lord said to Shimea, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the Israelites in Judah and Benjamin, this is what the Lord says. Do not fight against your relatives. Go back home, for what has happened is my doing. So they obeyed the message of the Lord and did not fight against Jeroboam. Rehoboam fortifies Judah. Rehoboam remained in Jerusalem and fortified various towns for the defense of Judah. He built up Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa, Bethzur, Soko, Adullam, Gath, Marisha, Ziph, Adoraim, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Aijalon, and Hebron. These became the fortified towns of Judah and Benjamin. Rehoboam strengthened their defenses and stationed commanders in them, and he stored supplies of food, olive oil, and wine. He also put shields and spears in these towns as a further safety measure. So only Judah and Benjamin remained under his control. But all the priests and Levites living among the northern tribes of Israel sided with Rehoboam. The Levites even abandoned their pasture lands and property and moved to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons would not allow them to serve the Lord as priests. Jeroboam appointed his own priests to serve at the pagan shrines where they worshipped the goat and calf idols he had made. 
from all the tribes of Israel, those who sincerely wanted to worship the Lord, the God of Israel, followed the Levites to Jerusalem, where they could offer sacrifices to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. This strengthened the kingdom of Judah, and for three years they supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon. For during those years they faithfully followed in the footsteps of David and Solomon. Hmm. Rehoboam's family. Rehoboam married his cousin Mahalath, the daughter of David's son Jeremoth, and of Abihail, the daughter of Eliab, son of Jesse. Mahalath had three sons, Jeush, Shemariah, and Zaham. Later, Rehoboam married another cousin, Maekah, the daughter of Absalom. Maekah gave birth to Abijah, Adai, Ziza, and Shelemith. Rehoboam loved Maekah more than any of his other wives and concubines. In all, he had 18 wives and 60 concubines, and they gave birth to 28 sons and 60 daughters. <coughs> Rehoboam appointed Maekah's son Abijah as leader among the princes, making it clear that he would be the next king. Rehoboam also wisely gave responsibilities to his other sons and stationed some of them in the fortified towns throughout the land of Judah and Benjamin. <coughs> he provided them with generous provisions, and he found many wives for them. Chapter 12, Egypt Invades Judah. Hmm. But when Rehoboam was firmly established and strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord, and all Israel followed him in his sin. Jesus. Because they were unfaithful to the Lord, King Shishak of Egypt came up and attacked Jerusalem in the fifth year of King Rehoboam's reign. He came with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horses, and a countless army of foot soldiers, including Libyans, Sukites, and Ethiopians. Shishak conquered Judah's fortified towns and then advanced to attack Jerusalem. The prophet Shemaiah then met with Rehoboam and Judah's leaders, who had all fled to Jerusalem because of Shishak. Shemaiah told them, This is what the Lord says. You have abandoned me, so I am abandoning you to Shishak. Then the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is right in doing this to us. When the Lord saw their change of heart, wow. he gave this message to Shemaiah. Since the people have humbled themselves, I will not completely destroy them and will soon give them some relief. I will not use Shishak to pour out my anger on Jerusalem, but they will become his subjects, so they will know the difference between serving me and serving earthly rulers. Hmm. So King Shishak of Egypt came up and attacked Jerusalem. He ransacked the treasuries of the Lord's temple and the royal palace. He stole everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. King Rehoboam later replaced them with bronze shields as substitutes, and he entrusted them to the care of the commanders of the guard who protected the entrance to the royal palace. Whenever the king went to the temple of the Lord, the guards would also take the shields and then return them to the guard room. Because Rehoboam humbled himself, the Lord's anger was turned away, and he did not destroy him completely. There were still some good things in the land of Judah. Summary of Rehoboam's reign King Rehoboam firmly established himself in Jerusalem and continued to rule. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen from among all the tribes of Israel as the place to honor his name. Rehoboam's mother was Naamah, a woman from Ammon. But he was an evil king, for he did not seek the Lord with all his heart. Mm. The rest of the events of Rehoboam's reign, from beginning to end, are recorded in the record of Shemaiah the prophet and the record of Iddo the seer, which are part of the genealogical record. 
Rehoboam and Jeroboam were continually at war with each other. When Rehoboam died, he was buried in the city of David. Then his son Abijah became the next king. Chapter 13. Abijah's War with Jeroboam. Abijah began to rule over Judah in the 18th year of Jeroboam's reign in Israel. He reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother was Maacah, the daughter of Uriel, from Gibeah. Then war broke out between Abijah and Jeroboam. Judah, led by King Abijah, fielded 400,000 select warriors, while Jeroboam mustered 800,000 select troops from Israel. When the army of Judah arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Abijah stood on Mount Zemaraim and shouted to Jeroboam and all Israel, Listen to me! Don't you realize that the Lord, the God of Israel, made a lasting covenant with David, giving him and his descendants the throne of Israel forever? Yet Jeroboam, son of Nebat, a mere servant of David's son Solomon, rebelled against his master. Then a whole gang of scoundrels joined him, defying Solomon's son Rehoboam when he was young and inexperienced and could not stand up to them. Do you really think you can stand against the kingdom of the Lord that is led by the descendants of David? You may have a vast army, and you have those gold calves that Jeroboam made as your gods. But you have chased away the priests of the Lord, the descendants of Aaron, and the Levites, and you have appointed your own priests, just like the pagan nations. You let anyone become a priest these days. Whoever comes to be dedicated with a young bull and seven rams can become a priest of these so-called gods of yours. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not abandoned him. Only the descendants of Aaron serve the Lord as priests, and the Levites alone may help them in their work. They present burnt offerings and fragrant incense to the Lord every morning and evening. They place the bread of the presence on the holy table, and they light the gold lampstand every evening. We are following the instructions of the Lord our God, but you have abandoned him. So you see, God is with us. He is our leader. His priests blow their trumpets and lead us into battle against you. O oh, people of Israel, do not fight against the Lord, the God of your ancestors, for you will not succeed. Meanwhile, Jeroboam had secretly sent part of his army around behind the men of Judah to ambush them. When Judah realized that they were being attacked from the front and the rear, they cried out to the Lord for help. Then the priests blew the trumpets, and the men of Judah began to shout. At the sound of their battle cry, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel and routed them before Abijah and the army of Judah. The Israelite army fled from Judah, and God handed them over to Judah in defeat. Abijah and his army inflicted heavy losses on them. 500,000 of Israel's select troops were killed that day. So Judah defeated Israel on that occasion because they trusted in the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Abijah and his army pursued Jeroboam's troops and captured some of his towns, including Bethel, Jeshunah, and Ephron, along with their surrounding villages. So Jeroboam of Israel never regained his power during Abijah's lifetime, and finally the Lord struck him down, and he died. Meanwhile, Abijah of Judah grew more and more powerful. He married 14 wives and had 22 sons and 16 daughters. The rest of the events of Abijah's reign, including his words and deeds, are recorded in the commentary of Iddo the prophet. Listen, I don't know how you are when you're reading the Old Testament. But oh, how I pray it ignites you with a passion and a zeal to know more of your God. Again, these people are coming back from captivity. 
They don't know their God. They don't know their identity. They're being reminded of their past. <clears throat> They're being reminded of their God, how great he is. They're being reminded that if you turn from him, you go your way, you abandon him, you begin to worship these false gods from these other nations, it will not go well for you. But if you put your trust in him, if you follow his decrees and his laws, you do as he has instructed, he will then be your defender. He will be your God, you will be his people. See, nothing has changed, you all. And I've said over and over, from the beginning till the end, God has a plan and God has a purpose. That he will have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. And as you read and as you've heard these last three chapters, do you not understand we see it even in today amongst the church community? Mm-hmm. These so-called Christians call themselves Christians but they're not living for God. They're serving these false gods. They're serving themselves. They think they're right with God, but they're in bed with every Tom, Dick, and Harry. They're up, down, and they're up today and down tomorrow. Here today, gone tomorrow. Worshiping this God, that little God, that little God, this little God. Their insecurities are even their little gods. They're running amok. And they're putting people in pulpits who ought not to be. They're making the pastors what they want them to be. Poof, you're a pastor. Poof, you're a pastor. Poof. Just preach what we want to hear. Give us a good message. Make us feel good. I look at these large events that take place, these large, huge, mega platforms that people have. I watched this video last night where all this stuff was going on in the church that looked holy, looked right. But I was like, how many of them are going to get up and actually live right? See, we make it about what we want. We make it about the programs. We make it about the anointing. We make it about all this stuff, but our lives don't change. There's no transformation, there's no call to holiness. There's no call to, 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 to God's kingdom. <laughs> as long as you just give us what we want. Listen, that's not Christianity, you all. It never has been, nor will it ever be. But yet that's what's rising up. It's nothing new under the sun. So when you look at what happened to the people of Israel, when God called them out as a nation unto himself, listen, listen, the New Testament tells you, He's given us the Old Testament so we will learn. It's an example. Oh, we shouldn't look at them and say, oh, look how bad they were. They couldn't even be faithful to God. Neither can you. Because where were you last night? Where are you going to go on Wednesday, Thursday, this week? When life presses up against you, are you turning to your God? Are you worshiping your God? Are you bowing down before him? Do you know him? Are you honoring him? Are you living for him? Or is he just a figment of your imagination? Just a good luck charm. Oh no, he's God, you all. And did you not hear? You turn them over. Oh, if that's what you want, here, let these little gods have you. It's a sign of his judgment. And we see that all through scripture. 
It's not because he's a bad God. Oh, he's a bad God. No, he's a great God. He's a loving God. And he says, listen, if you don't want to seek me, then I'll turn you over to what you want. Here, have it. Listen, you all, the good news is even in that state of being turned over, as long as there's breath in your body, when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because it says loving kindness, as we saw there, as you see all through Scripture, as you see His judgment, you see His love. You see His love, you see His judgment. As long as you have breath in your body, you have an opportunity to turn to Him, repent, get up, receive, and move forward. This is the good news. This is the good news. Go to Romans chapter 8. I've got a few more scriptures, and then I'll close this out. Romans chapter 8. We've started the book of Romans. We're in chapter 8. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's addressing some of the chaos that's going on, some of the teachings that have entered in that ought not to be there. He's reminding them how great their God is and how they are to be living as free people who belong to Christ. <laughs> so go to Romans 8, chapter 20, I mean, Romans 8, verses 22 through 39. <clears throat> For we know that all creation, no, yeah. yes, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. He just was sharing about the future glory. He's given us an understanding. You, you, did you hear that? That all creation is groaning as pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope. Are you waiting with eager hope, you all? For the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies as he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have, huh, that we don't have, we must wait patiently, and I love this, confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. God, did you get that? For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to, the, to His purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become, oh God, perk up, listen, 
like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to become, he called them to come to him. And and having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And you just want to be one of these weird Christians. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay, I go to church. Ah, I'm so sick of it. We're making a mockery of God. Does that reading of Scripture, did that just not impart something to you? Did it not bring encouragement? Did it not put a check in you to go, wait a minute, how am I living? Like, do you understand what was just spoken over you? What was just read over you? What has been encapsulated, saved for you so that you can hear it and read it? The hope in which you have been given. A lot of people use this portion of scripture, these so-called Christians. Everything's going to work out for my good. Everything's going to work out for my good. Everything's going to work out for my good. And you're not loving God. And if you're not loving God, you're not called according to his purpose. You can quote scripture all day long. The devil can do that. Demons do that. At least they tremble at it. You don't. Something's wrong when we take the word of God and we begin to use it as witchcraft. We begin to just do what we want with it in hopes and hopes and hopes that it works. You know, all things, you know, the confidence that you can have as a believer is as I'm going through and as God is sustaining me and keeping me, then I can trust in him that no matter what I'm facing in life, that all things will, will work out for my good because I've been called by God for his purposes. And I love him. And that's just not words, but there's a life that can match it. I don't know how you live it. But we got to stop pretending we're in when we're not. Stop pretending, oh, he's all right, he's all right with me, shucking and jiving, being a fool. Somehow he's okay. Oh, we better wake up. Do you understand the confidence? I love that, that we're to have the confidence. And it's not this wishy-washy confidence. No, it's the confidence of who he is and what he's begun in us. No, we're not perfected until we're with him, but we're maturing, we're growing. We're not making excuses for the sin that so easily entangles us. No, we're to be throwing it off. Because the last time I checked, he defeated it. So why are we still being entertained by it and giving ourselves to it? No, there's a way in which we're called to live. And so we can have the confidence of our God. We can have the security in our God to know that everything that he has planned and purposed for my life and for our lives, he will bring to pass and nothing, nothing, no one, no devil, no demon, no world system, no desire within will thwart what God has purposed. That's the confidence that you can have. And the God who has called you out of darkness. And so with this confidence, he finishes this out. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? 
Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. God, if this doesn't encourage you. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything then ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. I am convinced. Are you convinced, you all? I am convinced that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we just want to have these weird Christmas celebrations. Oh, it's the baby Jesus. (laughs) Do you understand who that baby grew to be? Do you understand that God wrapped himself in humanity to deliver us from evil? so we're not to be partaking of it. No, we're a different breed. We've been born again. The confidence that we can have, not in ourselves, not in our religious works at all. No, the confidence in what Christ has accomplished. Mm. That what God purposed, God planned, and God brought forth. Mm. That the Messiah was prophesied. He came. He's victorious. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You ought to be discipled. You ought to be growing. You ought to be maturing in the confidence of who your God is. So what? Let them slaughter me. Let them tie tie me up. Let them drag me to wherever. I still belong to Christ. The world hated him. It still hates him. And we think we're going to be, you know, kicking it up with them. We're just chums. No, no, no. No, 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 no. As the world continues to advance to his coming, you will be pushed out. You will be hated. The darkness, they don't want righteousness. They don't want light. So the confidence that we as believers can have, that nothing can separate us from his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This love of God, his his love endures forever. Nothing can stop it. And listen, listen, God loves everyone. But not everyone is a child of God. So don't get confused. Don't get confused. Oh, nothing can separate us. And And you peddle out that little verse to unbelievers. You're right. Nothing will ever separate you from God's love. But if you're not in Christ, if you have not accepted 
what God did because of his love, there's no salvation for you. God loves you as, as long as the day. Because <laughs> his love is infinite. It's everlasting. It's enduring. But if you don't respond to what he provided, see, nothing is going to do away with God. So it doesn't matter how dark you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been and how you acted. It doesn't matter anything about that. The darkest, because we're all sinners, y'all. Apart from God, we're all sinners. We're in complete rebellion. So it doesn't matter. Well, that sin's worse than that sin. No, no, no. Sin in and of itself. You, 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 you in your old nature. Wicked, vile, rebellious towards the holy God. As I've said before, God didn't deliver me just to change my sexuality. That was just a byproduct, my nature that was within me. I hated him, as you do. So whatever forth, whatever comes forth from that rebellion, from our lives, ah, that's what needs to be severed. That's what needs to be cut off, because that's what Christ came to do. He came to deliver you. He's not demanding you clean your life up and then come to me. No, no, no. He already knows you're unclean. <laughs> he already knows how vile and wicked you are, no matter how good you try to pretend. No. That's why he came. Light pierced the darkness. And listen, darkness can never extinguish the light. Oh, that we as the church will have confidence in our God that we can walk upright and that we will be discipled and that we would encourage each other, edify each other, build each other up because we know that our is pressing. He's returning and it's going to get harder. So I keep saying we can't keep doing church the way we've done church. No, we need to be encouraging and edifying and building each other up. As the Word of God said, singing spiritual songs together. R- really looking forward to our time of fellowship. Not just be flipping about it. If I can get there, I'll get there. <laughs> but that we treasure what God has given us. To accomplish what God has called us to. So many of us can't even accomplish what God has called us to because we're so wrapped up with what's behind us. I'm just trying to crawl out. No, no, just repent. Just turn to God. You say, well, it can't be that easy. Oh, trust me, I've been there. I've done that. That's why you had to become vulnerable. That's why you just get before him and just say, I can't. But God, you were pleased to reveal yourself to me. I didn't begin this in me. I wasn't looking for you. You were pleased to reveal yourself to me through your son, Jesus. Like you exposed the depths of my being that I'm sinful. And yet you love me. And yet you want to rebirth me into this new creation that I know nothing about. Doesn't make any sense to my life. But God, I believe. So I don't know what the next step is to take. But God, your word says, how do you transform me? By the renewing of my mind. My thoughts have to change. Because yes. as I think, the Bible says, so I go. See, I don't know. And y'all just want to play this weird Christianity. It's hard work. 
but not in my own strength. But the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. That flesh, it's warring against, it wants to keep you down. And you have got to rise up if you're truly saved and believe upon the one who has spoken and called you out and rejoice in that. Go to Psalm, we're wrapping up. Psalm 18. Oh, I've been in the book of Psalms yet again. I love them, I love them, I love them. I encourage you all to get into them. (laughs) These psalmists are so transparent Life is battering up against them at times. And yet they keep reminding us to look up. Look up. Remember who God is. Psalm 18, verses 37 through 50. I chased my enemies and caught them. I did not stop until they were conquered. I struck them down so they could not get up. They fell beneath my feet. You, God, you have armed me with strength for the battle. Some of us just need to understand that as you go into this next week. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. You placed my foot on their necks. I have destroyed all who hated me. They called for help, but no one came to the rescue. They even cried to the Lord, but he refused to answer. I ground them as fine as dust in the wind. I swept them into the gutter like dirt. You gave me victory over my accusers. You appointed me ruler over nations. People I don't even know now serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they submit foreign nations cringe before me. They all lose their courage and come trembling From their strongholds. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. Oh you've had some victories you all. And why you're still silent I don't know. Why you're still silent I don't understand. Warfare. Warfare. And as we've heard since Thanksgiving. Gratitude is warfare. The Lord lives. Praise to my rock. May the God of my salvation be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who harm me. He subdues the nations under me and rescues me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. You save me from violent opponents. For this, O Lord, I will praise you among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. You give great victories to your king. You show unfailing love to your anointed, to David, and to all of his descendants forever. How great is the love of God, you all. I don't know how you're worshiping him. I don't know how you're thanking him. I don't know what you're doing daily. But it should be acknowledging him. Not me, Lord, but you. God is rising up, but oh God, you've getting your word says, here's the, the 
This is what comes forth from the flesh. See, I can discern between good and evil because I'm applying truth and this is the fruit of the Spirit. So when I look at this and I'm more over here, something is wrong. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the conviction drawing me yet again out to say, no, 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 God, forgive me. I'm going to throw it off. I'm going to run with endurance because I have all that I need to live a godly life. Go to Proverbs. That's where we're closing. 19. A few nuggets of wisdom. Listen, I don't know if you enjoy the word, but oh, how I pray you get a greater hunger and a thirst for it. I pray for that for myself and for us every day. Proverbs 19, 27 through 29. If you stop listening to instruction, my child, you will turn your back on knowledge. A corrupt witness makes a mockery of justice. The mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Punishment is made for mockers, and the backs of fools are made to be beaten. Listen, you all, there is a way in which we're called to live. I'm going to close us out with a song of worship. And as we focus on Christmas Day that's approaching, again, I, I pray it's not just that day, one time a year. But every day, you all, understand the significance and the meaning behind the birth of Christ. Understand the events that surrounded his birth that led him to live Life on this earth to ultimately to the cross that he would die for you and he would take upon your punishment that you deserve but he took it upon himself and he thought about you while doing it. And for those who turn to him and receive from him he lays upon them his righteousness. You're now in right standing with God the creator And then they buried him. Three days later, he rose. He conquered sin and death. The very thing that you keep going back to making excuses for. It's defeated. It ought not to be defeating you because it's defeated. In Christ. This is your position. If you're in Christ. If you're not, then while this song is being played over you. Oh, how I pray. That the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. That you would not harden your heart yet again. But that you would surrender to him. Repent. And turn to him. So be encouraged. And then I'll close this in prayer.
And mm-hmm. 